going to do today is we're looking at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. So remember what we've been doing in, our, in, in the Sunday morning is we've been looking at the Psalms. And we've been considering the various types of Psalms and how they teach us how to live as, as believers in this world and to think about God. And, uh, but on Wednesday nights we've been looking at uh, the, how the Psalms fit in the life of David. Because David wrote most of the Psalms. And some of the Psalms, it tells us, were written in, during particular events in the life of David. So tonight we read um, Psalm 51, Psalm 51, um, which is written during the uh, events that we're going to talk about tonight. And in response, so we'll talk a little bit more about what happened. But David had sinned against the Lord. God sent his prophet and David wrote this psalm in response to what the prophet said to him. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to be speaking, and you have an outline there that you can follow. That should help you uh, be able to follow along with what's going on. And, uh, and then... And we'll be considering mostly 2 Samuel chapter 12. But then we'll be tying that into Psalm 51. Because if we look at the psalm that was written during that event, the psalm helps us understand what's going on in the event. And the event uh, helps us understand the psalm. So we're going to understand two parts of the Bible much better, God willing and with God's help, uh, because of, of what we're looking at tonight, looking at them together. So let's listen to God's word from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 23. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms, I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. 
Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I'll do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I had sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood behind him to get up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living... He wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not not return to me. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. O great God and Father in heaven, you are the creator of the universe. You have made all things by your power. You have made the stars and the galaxies and the universe and all their wonder. And you have made us down to the smallest detail, the amazing amount of information stored in our very cells. You programmed them all and you created us. You've given us life and you've made this universe a place where we can live and see you, and know you, and glorify you. And you have taken an interest in us, that we might look upon this great thing that you have made, and know you. And yet, O Lord, we confess that so often we have not taken that interest. And yet, we come tonight to seek after you, to experience you, to know you, to serve you, to be strengthened and encouraged, to serve you in the world, in all that we're doing, wherever we are working, wherever you call us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our water parks, in, our, in the places where we work and labor, and in our churches. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless us, that you would meet with us, that you would grant us your grace, your mercy and abundance. Bless this church and bless this congregation. Bless your people, wherever they are. We know that there are, there are many that are close to us who are still struggling with sickness in a variety of ways. We ask, O Lord, that you would bless them and heal them. We uh, pray for each one of them that you give them patience and that you would restore them so they might join with us once again. We thank you, O Lord, for all those who've met with us here tonight. We thank you, O Lord, for um, those you brought here. We pray that you would speak to them. Thank you for those of us, those who are joining us online. We pray that you would bless them that they would be able to hear your word as well and that you would speak to us and teach us the things that we need to know 
and learn to grow. Oh Lord, we need your help. We need your teaching. We need you to instruct us in the way to be our teacher, oh Lord. For you are God and we are your people. And we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your grace. We need your mercy. And so we ask for it, not because of our merits, but because of the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever struggled with guilt? I hope that at one point in your life or another, you have struggled with guilt. (laughs) Because we've all done things that are wrong. And if we've not been bothered by that, that's not good. But sometimes we can really struggle with it. The things that we've done that are really bad make us feel really feel awful inside. And we may have done something wrong that few people know about and that, or maybe no one other than the Lord himself. And that we just carry that in our heart, knowing that it's a burden. Or we may have done something that a lot of people know about and it makes us feel shame because we know what we've done in front of other people and how we've hurt them. That's what this passage is about. It is about a man who felt guilt. Not right away. He had to be brought to it. We don't know exactly all that was going on with him, but he had to be brought to a strong sense of his guilt. But then we also learn from this passage how to deal with it. David surely had guilt, but he repressed it. David, the king of Israel, got very deep in sin. And that's why I want to talk a little bit about the background to this passage because this is a confrontation with him and his sin. But we need to understand what his sin was. David had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. He saw her bathing and he had her brought to him while her husband was not there. And he slept with her. And that might have been the end of it except for the fact that she got pregnant. And so now he knew that it was found out because eventually people would know that she was pregnant and her husband had been gone. So they would know that someone else had slept with her. So it was a big problem. So you know what he did? He called her husband, whose name was Uriah, back from fighting in the battles that he was fighting in. Bathsheba's husband was a soldier fighting for David and for the people of Israel. And so he said, come back from fighting. He had him over, got him drunk, and said, go home. And I was hoping that he would sleep with her and that he would then think that it was his child and that everything would be covered. But Uriah didn't go home that night. Instead, he slept at the king's palace with the king's men. And David said to him, hey, why didn't you go home? And he said, well, because my, your men and my leader is out on the battlefield sleeping in tents, how can I go home? In other words, he was being extremely honorable. He was devoted to the people of Israel. He was devoted to the Lord. He was devoted to his king. And his king had totally betrayed him. Now, this might have made David feel bad. And maybe it did. But David was also scared and he didn't want to be found out. So he sent a message to Joab, the general of the army. And Joab's, and it said to Joab, when you're fighting against the Ammonites, who they were fighting against, and put Uriah at the front and then move back from him 
so that he's killed by the Ammonites. And he wrote that message. He sealed it. He gave it to Uriah and had Uriah take his death sentence back to Joab so that he would be killed. And sure enough, that's what happened. And so he took Bathsheba and he married her and he thought that it was all taken care of. So look, my friends, we're talking about this sin. We're talking about something that is really, really bad, right? This is not just a minor sin. I mean, all sins in some way are not minor. But this is a really, really bad sin. He's king. He's using his power to take another woman. And then he's killing her husband. Like, this is bad, right? This is bad. So when you think about the things that you have done with your life, and we, when we talk about sin, when we, when we talk about the things that we have done against the Lord, we're talking about real sin, right? We're talking not just about things that might be iffy or small or whatever. We're talking about what does the Lord do with our real sins, the real bad things that we do, the things that we might think God won't forgive that or God would not ever forgive me for that. That's what we're talking about tonight. Now, so what I want you to see in this chapter, first of all, in order to, God didn't just come and say, I forgive you. He first wanted to confront David with his sin. And we'll see that first. Then the consequences of David's sin. And then the contrition of David. Of David. So first, the confrontation with David. So here's a question. If a king has done something really bad, how do you tell him that he's wrong? The answer is very carefully. You use great wisdom, right? You use great wisdom. And that's what Nathan did. God sent Nathan, who was a prophet, a messenger from God, and Nathan used a story, Nathan used a story to help David see what he had done. And, and he tells him about a man who there was a rich man and a poor man. Now, the poor man had a little lamb. That was his mascota, his pet, right? It was one, he slept with this sheep in the bed. It's like that. And like some people sleep with their dogs in bed. It's not something I'm ever going to do, but a lot of people do it, I guess. So he loved this dog, or this, this sheep. And they cared for it, and they played with it, and all this stuff. This rich man had a ton of sheep. He had a huge amount of sheep. His friend comes to the rich man from out of town, and he says, I need some supper. And he didn't want to give him any of his sheep. So what does he do? By force, he took the mascota, the pet of the poor man, and killed it and ate it with his friend. And how do you think David felt about this? He said, that man is going to die. That man is going to die. He was angry. 
with that man. And he said, and he's going to pay him back for all that he's done. He was so mad. And then Nathan said, you are the man. You are the man. (laughs) Powerful words. And all of a sudden, David knew that everything he had tried to hide was now out in the open. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew that he had sinned against the Lord. And so, God said to him, Look, I made you king. You were a shepherd boy, and I gave you the kingdom of Saul. He said, I gave you many things. I gave you a bunch of wives, even. And he says, I would have given you much more if you would ask it. Why did you despise the word of the Lord and do this terrible thing? So David hears the rebuke of the Lord. Now let me just make two points of application to your life real quick from this section before we move on. Sometimes when we see people doing wrong and we want to talk to them about it, we just go say, hey, you did wrong. Remember from this passage that, this, to, that sometimes we need to use wisdom. We need to, to think carefully about how we confront people. Because when people are, have done wrong, they want to hide. And to help them come out, we need to use wisdom, just like Nathan the prophet did. So don't just say you did wrong. Think and pray about how God would help you to help that person see in the best way possible that what they've done is wrong. But also from this, learn one reason sin is so bad is because we take things that God has not given us when God has promised to give us so much. He's promised to bless us. He said, if you really need something more, I'm going to give you more. And yet we say, Lord, I'll do it my way instead. It's a sin against the goodness of God. And so, what's going to happen to David? Well, you see, David responded to this. Back here just one second. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And what, God, what Nate, God says to him through Nathan the prophet, he says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. It's a really remarkable thing. He's done something, again, when we're talking about sin, we're not talking about something that's not serious. This shows us the seriousness of sin. All the evil of sin is present in this passage. All the way it poses God, hurts us, hurts others, blasphemes the name of God. It's all here. And God says, it's forgiven. How can God do this? How can he act, take this injustice, and say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to forgive you and let you live. Well... It's more the grace of God than David's repentance. 
It's God's promise that he would be king. It's God's choice to make David his man. And it's his gift of grace that he's going to forgive him and keep him from falling. In the book of Romans, chapter 3, it says that God let the sins that were committed beforehand, that is, before Jesus came, go unpunished. But he sent Jesus to bear the punishment for sin. The punishment for sins like David's so that he can be just and the justifier of the one who has in faith, faith in Jesus. In other words, so that he can say, I forgive you to David and still be a just, good, righteous God. Because he said, I'm not going to let sin go unpunished. I've got to deal with it. And he's going to deal with it at the cross of Jesus. But because he's dealt with it, you get to go free. That is God's grace. He's a real Savior, and we're real sinners. It is through the expectation, the coming Christ, that David was forgiven of his sins. But now, God was not going to turn against David, but God was going to let David experience some of the consequences for, for his sin. He said that the sword would not depart from his house. He said this is going to wreak havoc. It's going to make big trouble, big problems. Va tenerte en pedos, right? <laughs> Can I say that from the pulpit? Is that bad? Sorry. <laughs> okay. It's gran bobos, right? Gran bobos for David. Yeah, right? So that's okay. Maybe better. Anyway, <laughs> so he says... That, he's like, we don't understand the speaking in tongues, right? So, <laughs> he says, this is going to mess your house up big time. This is going to mess things up, and there's going to be all sorts of problems. One of your own children is going gonna, is gonna to go wild, and, you're gonna, and it's going to hurt. And he said, the child of Bathsheba would not survive. Now, we might say, how does this fit? with God forgiving him, because it seems like he would not forgive him. Well, remember that God has many purposes for letting us experience some of the consequences of our sin besides punishing us. In, in, this, in verse um, 14, it says, But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the, the son born to you will die. And it's interesting, the text here could mean because of David's contempt or it could mean because of the contempt that his enemies would show towards God. In other words, David caused the contempt, but it's also other people causing contempt. And so you can see that on the one hand, this could cause God's name to be blasphemed because David is God's man. He said, this is the man after my own heart. And God is going to show that he is the man after my own heart, but not here. Not here. And so he wants to make it very clear that he is not a God who is indifferent to wrongdoing. So he is going to show that he is a God who cares about justice, about righteousness, about goodness in this world. But secondly, it's going to be helpful for David. The consequences of his sin will help remind him, remind him not to show contempt to the Lord and the Word of God. It will humble him 
so that he might be more exalted in the end. So now the point is, one of the reasons we may continue to struggle with guilt is because is because we may experience some of the consequences of that guilt. Some of the results of the throng things we've done may affect us. It may hurt us. It may hurt others. And what that reminds us, and what we need to remember, that God is not punishing us for our sin, but he's reminding us that there are consequences to sin so that we might learn to be humble, so that his name might be glorified, and so that others might be helped to learn from our own example. And so it shouldn't cause us to despair just because things don't turn out as well as we want after we've sinned. We should recognize the Lord forgives, but sometimes God has some purposes to help us feel the sting and the hurt of sin so that we might grow and learn from it and others learn from it and that his name might be glorified. So don't let that keep you from experiencing the joy of God either and the joy of forgiveness. Now finally, I want us to look at the contrition of David. And uh, so anybody know what the word for contrition is in, in Spanish? So, me neither. Martin? <laughs> yeah. Contrition. <laughs> I, she doesn't know what it means in English. Well, I'm going to tell you. So it might even, it, it's not just like contrición. So it's possible. I always be like, that's my first guess, you know. So, so, but what it means is when you feel sad or sorrowful for sin. So you feel bad because of what you've done. And then you want to turn from it. You got it? Casi ahí. Te puedes decirme después. Okay, so if you, any of you think of it, tell me. All right, so, huh? Cerca, cerca. <laughs> Casi. So I think there's another word. But anyway, we'll let it go for now. But that works. That works. Arrepentido. You feel sad. You feel, you feel sorrow, and you want to do something different. It works. Gracias. So contrition, that's what it is, arrepentido. means sorrow for sin, readiness to turn away from it. Now, one thing that's interesting is the psalm we read tonight with Psalm 51. Look at what it says. How does David show his contrition that he is arrepentido here in verse 13? He says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's it. Right? That's it. He just says, I've sinned against the Lord. But what's clear is that this wasn't just like, I've sinned. All right, let's move on. That he really felt this in the depths of his heart. That when he saw that he had sinned against the Lord, that it really affected him deeply. And I want to just read a couple of those words from Psalm 51 once again. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is what he was thinking after he had sinned. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It was a big deal to him. 
what he had done. He realized it was wrong. And notice in verse 14, he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, of having shed blood, the blood of Uriah. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. And in verse 17, he recognized, my sacrifice, what I'm going to give to you, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So it's a broken, contrite heart. That's what God wants to see when we have sinned, is just to recognize that he's right when he says you've done wrong, and that we agree with that, and that we feel it in our hearts. And you can see this in, in how, what happens afterwards. Because the Lord says, your son is going to die. And David is very sorrowful. And, he, and his, his son gets sick and he starts praying. And, he's, and he lays in the dust and he won't eat. And he's just praying. And everybody's standing by praying. And then all of a sudden, the boy dies. The boy dies. And... He says, and then he stops mourning. So why did he mourn before and not after? Well, he says, verse 21, oh, sorry, verse 22, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. And so, But then he goes on to say, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And so what he says to the Lord is, I accept the consequences. I'm not going to complain about what you've done because I recognize I brought this here. This is, I've done really wrong. And so he's not now railing at God. He's submitting to him. And one thing this helps us understand in verse 4 is of chapter of Psalm 51. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judged. In other words, he's saying to God, You are completely right in what you did and what you said. And now again, it's one thing to say that, but when you're talking about the death of your child, That's a very hard thing to say. It's a very hard thing to say. But it's his deep sense of repentance and desire to be reconnected with the Lord and to have the joy of his salvation restored that he keeps his eye on that and he humbles himself before the Lord so that he's even willing to accept some of these things and to be taught by the Lord and able to move forward in him. He knew what he deserved and he humbled himself. And so for us as well, It should be. Now, so let me just conclude by just making a few lessons, a few points to remember. When we feel grief or sadness because of our guilt, because of our sin, because of the things we should do, what should we do? Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. That's how we can resolve our guilt, before the Lord. That's what Psalm 51 teaches us. 
that as often as we see our sin, go to the Lord to find the joy of our salvation restored. Secondly, we should see here hope for forgiveness. That even when we've committed the worst sin, I mean, most of us cannot say we've actually killed somebody. You know, you say, you say like, well, I, you hear people say, like, I, I haven't done anything you know, right that bad. I haven't killed anybody. Well, David couldn't say that. Like, he couldn't, he couldn't say that he'd really done wrong. But when we've really done wrong, there's a God who really forgives and restores. That's the message of the Bible. It's a message of grace. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of restoration. And even if we don't feel all that restoration immediately, it's coming. There's hope. And so thirdly, God may make us experience some, of, some consequences for a while of our sin. But it's for our good, it's for the good of others, and it's for his glory. Ultimately, if we as the forgiven people of God experience some of the consequences of sin, it's not to bring us much lower, but it's to bring us low for a short time that we might end up way higher in the end. So we can say with the Apostle Paul, where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.